0: My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you know my feelings about the theater. I've made it pretty plain that I see it as an inherently wicked enterprise one fit only for those of tainted virtue so it would perhaps surprise you to learn that despite those sentiments i myself recently tried my hand at playwriting that's right i actually penned a work for the stage farmer gray asks you have ye joined hands with the devil no sir says i i have not For what I did, I undertook with the best of intentions. See, it all began Saturday morning, about two weeks ago. I I was over at Zeb's barber shop to receive my usual haircut. It's a high and tight military style, the kind that keeps a man looking clean and presentable all week long. Anyway, Zeb was working on the customer ahead of me. He was a young fellow named Newton Freeling, just 22 years of age and a recent graduate of Ole Miss. Now, Zeb, he always gets a little patter going with whoever's in the chair. That's common among barbers, makes the customers feel friendly-like, and maybe they'll hand you a bigger tip. So he says to the boy, he says, Hey, Newton, in that college of yours, what'd they teach you? "'Mechanical engineering,' says the lad, with a touch of pride. "'So you're an engineer, huh?' says Zeb. "'Well, then you should talk to Farmer Gray over there. "'Hey, Farmer Gray, you think you could use an engineer over to your place?' "'Well,' says I, "'my hay-tether's been acting up. "'Think you could come over and take a look, young Newton?' "'Sorry, Farmer Gray,' says the lad, "'but I don't know what that is.' "'Well, the sound that followed was my jaw hitting the floor.' "'Born and bred in Trouvaux, says I. "'And you've never heard of a hay tetter? "'No, sir,' comes the reply. "'I never have.' "'All right, then,' says I. "'What if I told you my shear-grab needed tending, "'or my flat-lifter had a busted shank? "'Could ye service them?' "'To which the youth answered, "'I do not believe so, no, "'for these things are not familiar to me.' "'How can that possibly be?' asked I. "'Oh, you know how it is,' says Newton.' I guess I've just never been into farming. No, I don't know how it is, I told him, because at no time in my life have I not been into farming. And with that, I just shook my head and went back to reading a 2012 issue of Car and Driver from a nearby pile of magazines. But later, when I was in the barber chair and Newton had left the premises, I says to Zeb, I says, What's wrong with today's young people? Have they no interest in the soil that keeps this country strong? Oh, says Zeb, I blame it on sensory overload. Video games and television phones and that what you call them, virtual realities so popular these days. Well, says I, there, there must be some way to get through to them. I don't know how, says Zeb. I don't know how. Anyway, that idea got loaded into the back of my mind and Would have stayed there, too, had something not occurred to jostle it loose. It was the next Thursday evening, see, and I was seated at a long table in the conference room at Sierra County Community Center. That's where our instructor, Mr. Dudley, presided over that writing class I've been attending the last few weeks. I, I told you about that, right? How I'm making a concerted effort to polish my prose all the better to impart whatever wisdom I can to you, my faithful listeners. Well, that Mr. Dudley, he's quite a taskmaster when it comes to the written word, but a fair one all the same. Unflinching in his praise and his criticism, as warranted, and always prepared with a ready quip and a quote from the classical authors. That night, he began by saying, As the Bard told us, all the world's a stage. And as Sean O'Casey added, most of us are desperately under-rehearsed. And then he got to the crux of the matter, suggesting that we, quote, Break Mr. O'Casey's cycle, unquote. For tonight, says he, I am tasking you with penning a dramatic disport i e a play with that a few of my fellow students exclaimed in surprise for it sounded to be an ambitious undertaking what should we write about says rudy a construction worker whose hands are proudly calloused as a farmer's anything under the sun says mr dudley can i write about a squirrel that talks asks rudy certainly answers the instructor if that's you know what's going through your head these days oh says nineteen year old polly sue "'I know what I'll write about.' "'Bet it's about the ex-fiancé again,' mumbled Tammy Lynn. "'Beg pardon,' says the young girl. "'Oh, nothing,' replied the other, "'nothing at all.' "'At this point I cleared my throat, politely, but in such a way "'as to attract the instructor's attention.' "'Yes, Farmer Gray,' says Mr. Dudley. "'Did you wish to interject?' "'Well, sir,' says I. "'It's just that, see, some of us, uh, well, some, I mean, like me, I suppose.' Might not look kindly upon theatrical endeavours, folks prancing about the proscenium in powders and paints, it just might rouse the ire of a good Christian. Ah, says Mr. Dudley, do not as- underestimate the deific complexion of stagecraft, for as the divine Sarah a.k.a. Miss Bernhardt so brilliantly stated, What matters anything to him who is enamoured of our art? Does he not carry in himself Every joy and every beauty? Yes, says I, but I still don't think Jesus wants his flock cavorting about like a bunch of flory-dory gals. Of course, that's just my opinion. To this, our instructor replied, Then take note of Samuel Beckett, who said, I am interested in the shape of ideas, even if I do not believe in them. What's that mean? asked I. It means, says Mr. Dudley, just write the play. "'I rode home that night with my lifelong friend "'and fellow student, Davis McClyde, "'a fine gentleman and a stalwart member "'of the Southern Convention. "'I do not cotton to this,' says I, "'as I steered my truck north down 315. "'One must not write for the stage, "'for it only encourages acting. "'Well,' says Davis, "'since it's been a sign, "'there must be something you want to write about.' "'Hmm,' says I. "'I'll have to admit,' I was stirred up the other day about our young folk and their lack of interest in the plow. Why, that young Newt Freeling couldn't tell a rotary tiller from his behind. Then maybe you should write a play about that, says Davis. You could call it, Newt Freeling is Stupid. I don't think if, I don't know if I should be that direct, says I, but now that I think on it, wouldn't it be something to draw the youngsters back to the land? You think I could could write a play that would do that? I'll bet you could, says my friend. In fact, that's such a good idea, we should write it together. You mean collaborate, says I? Sure, says Davis. We can make it about a a lost young man who finds his way to the farm of two old gents. We'll call him, well, we'll call him Farmer Roy and Farmer Rex. And together, those fellows lift up this downtrodden boy by introducing him to agriculture really straighten them out and put them on the right path. That sounds, says I, like a great idea. If we could write such a work, we could turn theater into a force for good, not prurience and sin. Amen, brother, says Davis, amen. So it was agreed that each of us would write half the play. I'd write the first scene, and Davis would write the bit after that, then hand it off to me and so on and so forth till we had ourselves a full-length drama one that would prove so irresistible, the boys and girls of these United States would drop their remote controls and pick up a hoe en masse. In fact, I was so inspired by the prospect ladies and gentlemen, I went to work that very night, writing like a man on fire. Why, all week long, I could barely keep my mind on my chores. So keen was I to get back to pounding the keys of my old Royal Safari typewriter, Indeed so fervently did I work that by the time Thursday evening rolled round again I had the finished scene in hand ready to knock 'em off their feet says Davis as we rode toward the community center again in my pickup sure thing says I and you got my scene right here says he holding up a Manila envelope and won't teacher be proud of us right farmer roy to which I replied he will indeed farmer rex he will indeed 20 minutes later We were back seated round that long table, Mr. Dudley at the head, like father at Thanksgiving dinner. I hope you all worked hard this week, says he, for to quote Lao Tzu, an ant on the move does more than a dozing ox. Unless the ox is dozing on the ant, says Tammy Lynn, who seems to enjoy getting in the last word. All right, says Mr. Dudley, paying no apparent mind. Who wants to read an excerpt from their assignment? Oh, me, says Polly Sue, who was a bit of a teacher's pet. The title of my play is, "What Whatcha Wearin', Pervert? Act One, Scene One. A pretty young girl enters. Her name is Molly Sue. Not Polly Sue, which is me, but Molly Sue, a totally different person. And Molly, she says, what to do, what to do. My handsome manly boyfriend has asked me to marry him. And while I would make a stunning bride, this is a big decision. After all, I have been asked to pledge my troth, and that cannot be taken lightly. Oh, but I would look amazing in a wedding dress. And having maintained my chastity, I am eligible to wear white. I think, I think, my answer will be, suddenly, Molly Sue's boyfriend enters. He is sweaty and out of breath and she cannot help but notice that he is clad in nothing more than little girl's rumba panties and high-heeled shoes. There is also a pistol in his hand. He says, Molly Sue, Molly Sue, you have to hide me. And she says, whatever for? Because, says he, I am being pursued by officers of the law. Oh, says Molly Sue, is that because you are wearing inappropriate attire for a young man? To which he answers, no, it's because they think I tried to rob a bank. And why would they think that, asks Molly Sue. Because I did, says he. And by the way, have you thought about my proposal of marriage? Suddenly sirens blare off stage. I have, says Molly Sue, and I was going to say yes. Oh joy, says her boyfriend. But now, continues the girl, I must answer in the negative. We are too different, you and I, seeing as how I'm a church-going 19-year-old who's pretty as a peach and you are a perverted cross-dressing bank robber. I hope you understand. I do on some level, says the boyfriend. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to shoot it out with the police and go down in a hail of bullets. The boyfriend exits, followed by the sounds of gunfire. Finished with her reading, Polly Sue put down her sheaf of papers and looked expectantly at the instructor. You know, says Mr. Dudley, I've noticed a bit of a pattern here. Every week you write about a bank robber boyfriend in rumba panties aren't there any other topics you might wish to address? I'm just writing what I know, says the girl, just writing what I know. All right, then, says he. Anyone else? At this, Tammy Lynn volunteered. It's called Au Revoir, Dummies, says she, and while I haven't yet written the beginning or middle, I have committed the very last scene to paper. That's fine, says Mr. Dudley, for to quote Aristotle, An end is that which naturally follows some other thing, either by necessity or as a rule, but has nothing following it. I guess that's why they call it the end, says Tammy Lynn. Anyway, here's what I wrote. It says, Her no-account husband and son fast asleep, Tammy Lynn pours gasoline down the hallway and lights a match, tossing it on the now highly flammable carpet. With the house quickly engulfed in flames, she merrily exits leaving the two louts to their deadly fate. The end. Tammy Lynn looked up from her text and said, "'What do you think? Is it stage-worthy?' "'Well,' says Mr. Dudley, "'well, normally I'd be worried about burning down the set every performance. In your case, I'm more concerned about the fact that you too have fallen into a bit of a rut. In your case, you fantasize every week about killing your husband and son. Have you noticed that?' Tammy Lynn shrugged. "'Are you sure?' Well, says the instructor, I have some of your other papers right here. There's a poem called Tons of Fun with Dead Husband and Son, a short story entitled Two Idiots, One Bullet, and this haiku, Lazy Jerks, I Killed Them Yippee. Not sure that represents a pattern, says the lady, and I'm even more anxious, says our instructor, that instead of giving the character a name that sort of sounds like yours, like Polly Sue did, You gave her your exact name. Is there someone we need to call? No, says Tammy Lynn, but I promise I'll write something nice next time, like they both died peacefully in their sleep. Uh, all right, says Mr. Dudley. Who's next? With this, Davis stood up and said, Farmer Gray and I, we'd like to present. We're collaborating, see, on a really useful drama that'll school the youth of today. Ah, replies the instructor. As Ionesco said, if one does not understand the usefulness of the useless and the uselessness of the useful, one cannot understand art. Ionesco, says I, see that Spanish fellow hangs out at the marathon station? Mr. Dudley said that was not likely, so I must have been thinking of someone whose name sounded like that. Anyway, since mine was the first scene, I took to reading. I said, act one, scene one. Morning in a typical Mid-South County as a young man stumbles onto the 400-acre spread of Farmers Roy and Rex. Bone-weary and raggedy, he says, Lord, I have wandered many miles these past few days. My friends of ill repute stole my money and abandoned me. I have not the strength to go forward, nor can I return home, for I rejected Daddy's wise counsel in favor of low company. Woe is me. Just then, Farmer Roy enters. He says, Hello, stranger. Welcome to our freeholding. May I be of service to you? The boy falls to his knees, crying, I am penniless, tired, and hungry. Might I just partake of the slop you feed your pigs? I promise I won't eat much, just enough to quieten the pangs of starvation in my belly. Farmer Roy gently takes the boy's arm and raises him to his feet. No man eats slop here, says he. You will feed on the bounty of the land, for that is what we harvest on our farm. And if ye should choose, you shall join us here, learning to till the soil, plant the seed, and reap the rewards of good hard work. Then you too will be suffused with the wisdom of the land. Oh, thank ye," says the boy. Your gentle ways and compassion are like a tonic to this tortured soul. No, son, says Farmer Roy, thank you. "'for it is a privilege to help others. "'Now follow that path yonder "'where Farmer Rex will help you "'with any other problem you might have. "'I will,' says the boy, "'and off he runs with new strength, "'the strength of a man who has found his future. "'End of scene one.' "'I then turn to Davis. "'Would you now like to read scene two of our drama?' "'says I, "'so that we might be further apprised "'of the boy's progress?' "'Certainly,' says Davis and he stood to read. Scene two, a barn. Farmer Rex, tall and bearded, grips the braided leather handle of his trusty bullwhip. Before him hangs the naked muscular form of the young man from scene one, his hands bound above his head by a rope that suspends him from a stout pine rafter. Farmer Roy enters through the downstage barn door. What are you doing, asks Roy, to which Rex replies, I have just discovered this boy to be a sodomite. I must therefore scourge him, for the whip is the best counsel I can offer. But why, says Roy, have ye taken off your own clothes? For Farmer Rex is also naked, his lithe lithe frame glistening with sweat. Those clothes were too binding, says Rex. I couldn't properly wield the lash in them. Then, with a practiced flick of his wrist, he cracks the whip across the boy's gleaming now hold on Davis says I stopping my collaborator mid-sentence "What's the matter?" says he to which I replied "I can't say as I'm entirely comfortable with the direction this is going." "But why?" says Davis. "I don't understand." So I answered him I says "I want to write about a I want to write a gentle pastoral of good fellowship and you want to write about stripping down to whip a naked man." Not that there isn't a time and place for everything but I don't believe this is it. Please, says Davis, don't ask me to compromise my artistic vision. Well, it was clear we weren't going to see eye to eye on the matter, so we severed our theatrical partnership right then and there. But the decision was both mutual and amicable, so our friendship did not suffer. After class, Mr. Dudley asked to see Davis to discuss certain plot points, so I waited in the hallway for him. While leaning against the wall, hands in pockets, I swear I heard the snap of leather, followed by what sounded like yelps of pain. But it must have been coming from some place else, because when the door opened, both men were smiling, indicating that no altercation had occurred between them. What did you all talk about, I asked, as Davis and I drove away from the center. Oh, says he, about how truth is more fun than fiction. Isn't that expression, truth is stranger than fiction, asked I? That too, says my friend, that do. Yes, sir. Play me out, Zeke.